It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live. It is hump day at the Wisconsin State Fair. Fair runs for 11 days. This is the middle day. It is an absolutely glorious morning out here. Um, Yesterday was absolutely outstanding, and today is another Chamber of Commerce Day. If you're coming out to the State Fair, be sure and stop by and say hi. Hey, coming up in a couple minutes, I threw off my regular routine. Normally, I like to get out here, and I I think one of the best deals at the fair is these um, future farmers of America down in the Wisconsin Ag Building. They make this omelet for five bucks it's great i for i didn't get the omelet this morning because i i went i went to check out the scene of the crime instead only had time to do one so i checked out the scene of the crime i'll tell you all about that in about 20 minutes we start off today's program though like we start off every program three big things all right story number one people who live in glass houses richard blumenthal is a senator from connecticut He's also one of these sort of stolen valor guys. That's the phrase you use for people who claim to have been in the military and claim to uh, perform military service when, in fact, they, they didn't. For years and years, Blumenthal, who's a Democrat from Connecticut, claimed to have been in Vietnam um, on many, many occasions. You know, he talked about his military service. There was one occasion about 10 years ago where he told a group of veterans and senior citizens, we have learned something important since the days that I served in Vietnam. All right, that, that's great, except he never served in Vietnam. During the Vietnam War, he got multiple military deferments and ultimately landed in the Marine Reserve. He was in the Marine Reserve from 1970 to 1976. So he did serve in, in the Reserve, but on multiple occasions he implied that he was actually in Vietnam and that he actually served as an active soldier. And that, that's, that's false. It's that stolen valor type of thing. Well, yesterday, Blumenthal goes on CNN and goes after President Trump. Um, he starts talking about the Justice Department's crackdown on leaks and sanctions on North Korea, and and he called for the investigation into the Trump campaign and ties with Russia to continue. The investigation must be pursued, he said of the probes. All right, now you might ask me, Jeff, what's the connection between this whole stolen valor story, that the false claims that he was in Vietnam, and him going on CNN yesterday? Well, that that would that's a fair question. Because after he, this is Blumenthal, appears on CNN, President Trump, who is on vacation, takes to Twitter and sends a series of tweets out about Blumenthal's appearance on CNN. Um, Here's what he writes. Interesting to watch Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut talking about hoax Russian collusion when he was a phony Vietnam veteran con artist. All right, uh, that was at 6.47 a.m. Five minutes later, the president sends out a tweet. Never in U.S. history has anyone lied or defrauded voters like Senator Richard Blumenthal. He told stories about his Vietnam battles and conquests, how brave he was, and it was all a lie. He cried like a baby and begged for forgiveness like a child. Now he judges collusion. All right, then, um, several hours later, 3.48 p.m., President Trump again takes to Twitter. I think Senator Blumenthal should take a nice long vacation in Vietnam where he lied about his service so he can at least say that he was there. Well, okay, so the president is is correct when he says that Blumenthal lied about about his service. So that that's correct. Now, of course, the the interesting thing is that President Trump did not serve during Vietnam. 
during the Vietnam War, he got four draft deferments for being a college student that allowed him to avoid compulsory military service. Um, after his deferments ran out for college, he got a fifth deferment based on bone spurs in his heels. Um, he apparently had forgotten that during portions of the campaign. Um, when he got interviewed during the course of the campaign, he called the condition temporary and minor. He says, I had a doctor that gave me a letter, a very strong letter on the heels. All right, so um, here you have President Trump, like many people of the time, who, again, he was in college, he managed to avoid military service, and lots of people did it because he was, again, in college. He got the various deferments. When that ran out, he found some doctor to say he had bone spurs or something like that, and then he got another deferment, and then you know the, the compulsory military service ended. But President Trump yesterday decides to go after this Connecticut senator, um, for the whole stolen valor issue. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand it. it's two different things. President Trump, to my knowledge, never lied about serving in Vietnam when he didn't serve in Vietnam. But still, he was somebody who, like a lot of people at the time, decided to use the legal means that were available, the fact that he was wealthier, the fact that he was in college, to avoid his service. Should people in glass houses, of all the different things that you could go after Richard Blumenthal for, was Trump right to go after him on the stolen valor claims, the claims that Blumenthal made that, hey, I served in Vietnam, when in fact he didn't? Is this a situation of the president being a hypocrite, or does he make a, a good point? Does he go after Blumenthal's character? Is it a cheap shot? Or is it a fair shot? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this in a couple minutes. But I'm curious as to whether you think the president went too far. Um, is this him being hypocritical? Should he have picked other bases if he wanted to attack Richard Blumenthal? What's he doing bringing up Vietnam? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. Eight forty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WPMJ broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's game two for the crew and the Twins tonight. In Minneapolis. Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle hit the airwaves at six thirty five. Sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Okay, President Trump on vacation takes to Twitter, goes after a liberal Democrat from Connecticut for attacking Trump on Russian collusion. He chooses to go back and say, "Hey, this is a the senator lied about serving in Vietnam when he didn't." And the, the senator did. It was one of these stolen valor type of things. He was, however, in the Marine Reserve for six years from 70 to 76. President Trump never served in Vietnam either. He got a series of deferments, four student deferments, and then a fifth one for some temporary problem with his heels. 414-799-1620. Terry sends me an email. The senator lying about his Vietnam service is a much bigger deal than not serving at all. And uh, Terry's a Desert Storm vet. I agree that there is a difference, but at the same time, 
All right, is this the issue that the president should have chosen to attack? Let's start with John in Elm Grove. John, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Uh, you know, of course, Trump, Trump is, is being a, a hypocrite. You know, it's it's sort of, look, I don't blame him for not trying to get into, or, or trying to get out of the service during Vietnam. Yep. Everybody did. Everybody did, okay? Many people did, sure, uh, yeah. Right. Everybody tried. A lot, I, I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people actually served, and, and yep. a lot of people died. A lot of people died, okay? Uh, but at least Blumenthal went into the service, and, and uh, he, you know he could have been assigned there. He wasn't. I don't think he. I don't think it's the stolen valor kind of thing where he said he was a, a war hero. He didn't like go into the battlefield and claim to do some heroic thing. I think he just said he served during the Vietnam period. Now, he, Vietnam he actually said, "I served in Vietnam." Which is, uh, which is, which is very, you know, and of course, obviously, people who did serve in Vietnam are very sensitive when people right. say right. that they served in Vietnam when they, they didn't, yeah. That's one level of lie, but it would have been much worse if he had said he had done something heroic on the battlefield. You know? Right. But right. for Trump to, to go after that, it's just, it's just so typical of him. He, he, you know, it's like a, a bully. He tries to find the weakness in somebody. And right. then goes after it, even and so. But he's all he does it with, with this complete lack of self awareness. That you know, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I might I be vulnerable on that. Yeah, yeah I, I might be a little bit. And didn't he? Wasn't he the guy? Was, didn't he say that during Vietnam his biggest challenge was avoiding getting venereal disease or something? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I see. I, you know, John, I, I think you actually. It was a phrase I wrote down when I was thinking about discussing this, and, and it was exactly what you just said: lack of self awareness. That, that's, I, I, I think what Blumenthal said when what he did was was different than what Trump did. But at the same time, um, when when you're somebody who has gotten four deferments, you're actually five. The fifth one. Being kind of a sketchy one, you know, you know, you've used up your yeah. student deferment, so now you, you find some doctor who suddenly diagnoses you with this this temporary bone spur thing. I mean, look, he he was he didn't want to be in the military. He was wealthy. He did whatever he could to get out of it. Fine, uh, but it is the self awareness issue. It's that you're going to attack of all the things you could attack Richard Blumenthal for. This is what you're going to do. And you're right. It is kind of the bully thing. What can I? Where might his vulnerability, his most vulnerable spot, be? And I'm going to attack him without self-awareness yeah, yeah, no. yeah that's, but that's that's who he is i mean that's who we're stuck with so uh you know um, thanks for the call I, pre- I yeah, yeah i appreciate yeah. it i i guess i've just i i was when i was reading this story and i was seeing this whole thing play out i mean first of all as somebody who really sincerely legitimately wants to see president trump succeed i i, I do i i think in many cases what's happened is you have the difference between style and substance on the substance of the issues, I think he's right an overwhelmingly amount, an overwhelming amount of time. On, that, that's on the substance. It is, it is the style that I think continues to be off-putting. And I understand there's some people saying, yeah, go stick it to him, you know, go after Blumenthal. But, I mean, of all the different things that you could – first of all, who cares? This is some backbencher senator who, you know, goes on CNN. Uh, let it go. You're on vacation, for goodness sakes. Let it go. But he, he has to take to Twitter. And, and it's not just the ones that come out at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. Then, you know, he thinks about it, and seven hours later, you, you continue to send out the same sort of tweets. I mean, it's just, for goodness sakes, you know, move on. I, I think you have to let it go. And this is why I bring it up, only because I think this type of stuff gets in the way of the agenda. It is this sort of style. Who cares what Richard Blumenthal thinks? I mean, seriously, who cares what he ends up thinking? And 
you know, and this is where you're going to try to attack him, him on. I think you just need to let it go, because while I understand, I think there is a different thing. It is a difference between trying to get a student deferment or a military deferment, because he clearly didn't want to go in the military, versus saying that you served in Vietnam. There's, there's two different things, but it's not exactly like... Well, I don't know if it's people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, but he certainly lives near that glass house, and yet he decides to do this. So, again, for those of us who want to see him succeed, who like the agenda, who support a lot of the things that are going on, um, he just continues, in my opinion, to shoot himself in the foot by his inability to just let stuff go. Being thin-skinned doesn't necessarily mean that you can govern well as the president of the United States. If you're the CEO of a privately held company, you can do everything you want. You can crush your enemies. You can decide, I'm going to do anything I can to crush that pe- those people who you know oppose me. But when you're the leader of the free world, sometimes you just have to let stuff run off your back. All right, before we get to big thing number two, I got here early this morning. I went out and checked out the scene of the crime. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. It's 852. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. So I got here particularly early this morning. I have been coming out. Oh, oh gosh. I mean, I've been coming out to the Wisconsin State Fair since I was probably 10 or 11 years old. I have I have taken dates out to the Wisconsin State Fair, you know, over, over the years. I think the Wisconsin State Fair is a great spot, you know, for couples. So I, I, I've always enjoyed that. Um, there is this story in the news, though, that, that got my attention. It's actually gone viral. And that is uh, two people are now in custody because a couple days ago um, they decided that not just is the Wisconsin State Fair for lovers – but they decided that the Wisconsin State Fair was the place to be in love or at least in lust. So um, this morning, I decided I wanted to check out the scene of the crime, as it were. So I, I walked down to the Coliseum, um, which is just to the, I guess, north of the Agriculture Building. And, you, you know, the, the, there was TV reports. I, I think I was able to find the, the various benches where the, these people decided that it was a good idea to, I, I don't know, express their affection for each other. And apparently there were surveillance cameras there, and there was somebody who decide, who saw this all going on and, and took a, a video of it and, and then posted it. Now the police have been able to identify this. And I, I, I was kind of, I mean, I, I was wondering, because like I say, I've been here for a lot, a lot of times, and I, I don't know. I don't know. While I believe the fair is for lovers, I, I'm not exactly sure that there's really a, a place to do these sort of things. And so I, I, I walked in, and I was looking this morning at the, the benches and all, and I'm, I, I have to confess that I, I understand that, that people do, you know, get creative when it comes to sort of these sort of things. But i got to admit, I, I'm looking at these benches in the, the Coliseum, and for the life of me, just for the life of me, I don't understand what about these particular benches would inspire, well, an act of romance like this. I mean, I'm trying to look around. I'm trying to think, okay, what were these two people thinking? Now, stop me. I understand, I guess, what they were thinking. But why did anybody think that this was going to be a particularly good idea at the time? And in the video, apparently one of the guy, the guy who um, is in the middle of this realizes that he is being filmed, and he decides he thinks it's a good idea to wave. Well, I have to admit, the next time I go into the Coliseum to watch one of the 
the various horse shows or something like that, I, I'm always going to be looking at this particular area, wondering exactly what it is that, that's going on. I'm also, while I believe that the State Fair is, in fact, for lovers, I, I have to admit, as I'm, I'm sort of wondering, um, well, I guess I understand from the guy's perspective what he was thinking. I, I do wonder from the woman's perspective, gee, why did she think that this, was this going to be romance? I mean, look, I understand that sometimes, you know, you check into a hotel and there, there's some rooms that are better than others. You know, maybe you want the room away from the ice machine or away from the elevator. Maybe you want the room that's got, I don't know, the view of the ocean as opposed to the view of the parking lot. Having been down at the Coliseum this morning, I got to tell you, the view from all the benches is pretty much pretty much the same. And while I understand that the State Fair is for lovers, my advice, some free legal advice from a recovering attorney here, is that you know if you decide you want to become amorous, well, all right, there's some public displays of affection that might go over just fine at the Wisconsin State Fair. You know, hold hands, things like that. Beyond that. Don't do what the folks did on the benches. If nothing else, I mean, what's that phrase we say? Get a room. Okay, big thing number two is coming up. Stick around. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 908. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, we are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair, but I do not want to let... I, I do not want to let the week go by without alerting you to something big coming up this weekend. And it, it's actually, I'm kicking myself that I am not going to be there this year. I promise I'm going to do this uh, in the very near future. Seymour, Wisconsin, the home of the hamburger. This week, this weekend, August 11th and the 12th, it, it's their giant Happy Days Burger Fest. Now, maybe you have heard about this before, but the highlight of this is... They cook a 200-pound hamburger. Can you imagine? And, and, and here, see, here's why it's even more, like, personal. Okay, the, uh, my fiancé, her son-in-law, he's going to be cooking the hamburger this year. He, he's from Seymour originally, lives around here. Darren lives around here now. But his, his parents have been intimately involved, and his, his dad was the one, Jim. He's a great guy. He cooked the hamburger for years and years, and they are sort of passing the grill, as it was, as it were. So, um, okay, my fiancé's son-in-law, he's cooking the giant hamburger. And I, I have to admit, I've been things like this fascinate me, because whenever I've seen him, I've been, how exactly do you cook a 200-pound hamburger? You know, how, who lifts it? And, and he's, he was kind of describing it to me, and he said, you know, if, if you came up there, maybe you could participate. And I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't want anything to do with this, because I could tell that if something screwed up, if somebody dropped the hamburger or something, I would be probably legitimately the one blamed. But um, I have never, in all the different things that I have been to, in Wisconsin, I, I've never been to the, the Burger Fest at Seymour, and um, just our schedule is not going to allow us to get up there this year. But I'm, I'm, it's on my list. So if you are in the area, you're looking for something to do. And as I say, Seymour is outside of Green Bay. If you're up in that area, um, they've got a big balloon thing on Friday, and then they've got the giant hamburger and all sorts of things and entertainment. You want to be at uh, you want to be at Burger Fest this weekend. That is it is just quintessential quintessential Wisconsin. All right. Big story number two, Gwen Moore. Now, this is the same Gwen Moore who, when Foxconn announced that they were bringing thousands and thousands of jobs to southeastern Wisconsin, to the presumably the congressional district immediately to the south of hers, and Gwen Moore, who basically represents Milwaukee County. You know, there are pockets in Milwaukee County, particularly the city in Milwaukee County, a city of Milwaukee, where you have incredibly high unemployment. Instead of 
embracing this. And instead of saying, hey, this is tremendous, I'm all on board, let's figure out ways to hook up my constituents who desperately need jobs with some of the jobs that are going to be created by Foxconn. Maybe not necessarily some of the tech jobs, but there's going to be all sorts of support jobs. You would have thought that Gwen Moore would have been doing cartwheels. Instead, she didn't show up at the announcing event, and her only comment has been, well, I'm, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about this. Why Why will Gwen Moore not support this? Well, it's just politics. Gwen Moore won't support it because President Trump helped organize this. Governor Walker helped organize this. So if it means her constituents continue to be in poverty and don't have job opportunities, she's apparently fine with that. In any event, Gwen Moore, she is out with a press release. Caught my attention yesterday. Here is the, here is the fundraising letter that she sent out. Friend, I am outraged. All right, now, I, let me just stop there. There's all sorts of things that, that Gwen Moore, again, who represents a, a congressional district that has a lot of troubles. What could Gwen Moore be outraged about? Should she, could she be outraged at the high unemployment numbers in her particular city at a time in the city of Milwaukee, at a time when, candidly, unemployment is at all-time uh, lows? Could she be outraged about that? Could she be outraged about, well, the the crime rate, for example, in a large part of her district, uh, a crime rate that essentially traps people who can't get out into a life of fear? Could she be outraged about that? Well, let's see. What's she outraged about? Friend, I am outraged. Jeff Sessions' appointment to serve as attorney general continues to be the most dangerous appointment for minority communities President Trump has made. He has the full power of the U.S. Department of Justice to implement his radical white nationalist worldview. He is now turning his attention to colleges. His department is beginning to investigate whether white applicants are being discriminated against. I am disgusted by A.G. Sessions' use of our government to enforce white privilege. I need you to stand with me against Jeff Sessions. You have the power to stand up and fight back against Jeff Sessions, Donald Trump, and their disgusting white nationalists' policies. Paid for and authorized by the Gwen Moore for Congress campaign. Keep up the fight. All right. Now, what she is talking about is the announcement that was made um, a couple days ago that the Department of Justice was going to start looking at college admission practices to analyze whether or not white applicants were being discriminated against in college selection choices. The Supreme Court says you can take race into account, but it can't be essentially an overriding factor. And the Justice Department is apparently going to look at how that is being implemented. Because the truth of the matter is, um, yes, if you are a white male going up against a person of color, all things being equal, schools can give the nod to the person of color. If you are an Asian man or an Asian woman, you're pretty much out of luck as well, because even though you're a minority, you're not the right minority. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. When more, congressman from essentially represents Milwaukee County, says that the Department of Justice, looking at um, race, affirmative action programs in college admission, that is essentially 
a white nationalist policy um, and that doing that, even inquiring as to whether affirmative action is being used to discriminate against uh, majority, the majority, she says that that is white privilege. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think when more is out of her mind. Now, I've thought that on a number of different things. But this idea that if we are moving towards a colorblind society, we can't even investigate whether there is reverse discrimination going on without being alleged to be part of white nationalist policies or um, a pattern of white privilege. I mean, I thought we were trying to move towards a colorblind society. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it, is investigating whether affirmative action is being misused, is that really supporting disgusting white nationalist policies? I think not. 414-799-1620, we're back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 916. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tensions continue to mount between North Korea and the U.S. in light of new sanctions imposed by the United Nations. Is it time to put boots on the ground on the Korean Peninsula? John McCure explores at 4.50 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. John is broadcasting live from the State Fair. It is sponsored by Culligan. All right, let's. Just, this is, we're in the middle of our three big things. Big story number two, Gwen Moore puts out a release yesterday from the campaign saying that she is outraged, outraged that uh, the Attorney General of the United States is looking at affirmative action policies in college admissions to try to determine whether or not, wait for it, whether or not people who are not persons of color are being discriminated against. She says, I I can't believe it. The the Attorney General is using our government resources to enforce white privilege. All right, so what that means, let's be real clear here. What that means is if you have a son or daughter who is qualified, wants to go to college, and gets turned down at the college of their choice because they are not the right color, even though, objectively speaking, they are more qualified, maybe higher test scores, better GPA, more activities. Well, that's that's an example of white privilege. How dare you, mom and dad, be upset that your kid couldn't get into school because when they check the particular box, you know, they, they didn't get enough boxes to check. Now, this isn't all about whether or not affirmative action has value, and it's not about trying to determine whether or not um, race is a factor that you can consider in trying to decide whether or not you want a diverse student body. That's not what this is all about. Gwen Moore sees this as white privilege. The idea that how how dare you think that because your child is objectively speaking better qualified than somebody else, but not of the right skin color, that your child should get that spot. Oh, what what white privilege is there? And then I love it. This is pursuing this, the Attorney General and the President, this is a disgusting white nationalist policy. Did you realize that? If your kid has wanted to go, again, you know, pick a college. Your kid has wanted to go to, you know, XYZ University. Your kid has worked really hard to try to get into that university. And your kid is told you can't get in because even though you objectively have better qualifications, you just don't fit 
fit into, you're not the right racial category. And it is the right racial category, because like I say, there's some racial categories that get no protection at all. But your kid isn't the right skin color. So did you realize that you were promoting white nationalist policies? The fact that your child might be, objectively speaking, better qualified, well, I guess that makes you a racist if you think your kid should get that particular gig. Now, again, I'm not arguing whether or not. I'm not arguing whether or not all things being equal, if you want a diverse student body, you know, should, just like you get points for being the captain of the debate team or on student body, a student body president or whatever, um, you know, should race be a factor, all things being equal? All right, the reasonable people can argue about that. Quite candidly, to me, if you are striving for a colorblind society, then you should be colorblind in, in everything you you end up doing. But all right, all things being equal, you consider consider that as a factor. Okay, but that's not what the Justice Department is doing. The Justice Department is looking at the school admission policies where it's not all things being equal. Instead, it's you know, race is an independent factor that they use to give preferences. And if you oppose that, Gwen Moore apparently thinks that you are... A white nationalist, honest to goodness. Um, Andy in Waukesha writes, Jeff, the funny thing is that she thinks she's doing minorities a favor by rallying her constituents to rebel with the race card. Um, She and others are the reason why our racial divide in this country is the way it is. She should be ashamed of herself. I agree. Betty texts, unfortunately, Gwen Moore is not crazy, but sadly reiterating the misguided racist perceptions of some in her district. Not me. I'm in the district. That, see, that's that's the thing. If we want to work for a colorblind society, and this is what the argument I've made all the time about college admissions, I don't think we do people a favor by admitting people on the basis of race if they're not ready to do the work. What we should be looking at is raising the question of, gee, why aren't there more people from this group or that group or whatever group that are qualified to get into the college or university of their choice? What, what's going on in the elementary and secondary education that's leading to that? You gain nothing, 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 by accepting somebody to do it to a particular university or college if they're not able to do the work. All you do is set them up to fail, and you end up taking a space from somebody who might be able to succeed. In any event, big story number two, Gwen Moore claiming civil rights being destroyed because, gee, the United States Attorney General and the President want to see whether or not college admissions should truly be colorblind. Gwen Moore has an issue with that. Big story number three is coming up. The immigration debate comes to Wisconsin. Stick around. It's 924. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It is a Chamber of Commerce day out here. The weather is just absolutely perfect. This is day six of the Wisconsin State Fair. It is the mid midweek day. The fair runs for 11 days, so this is day six. Um, come on out this weekend. Uh, I think they've got a lot of great stuff going on. I'm a huge fan of the fair. I walked around for uh, several hours yesterday, and I think I'm going to spend some time as the week goes on here. There's just so much to see, and there's so much to do. Okay, 
Big story number three. Immigration comes to Wisconsin. The immigration laws. Now, we've talked a lot about the debate going on involving sanctuary cities. Um, there, there's now a huge fight brewing between Rahm Emanuel, the, uh, the godfather of Chicago, the mayor of Chicago, the ethically challenged mayor of Chicago, former chief of staff for Barack Obama. He and he's picking a fight with the Trump Justice Department over the so-called the notion of so-called sanctuary cities. Uh, we've talked about this before. What a sanctuary city is varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But essentially, it's a city that decides that it is not going to cooperate with federal immigration officials. You know, we're, we're not going to tell immigration officials when we have arrested people who are illegally in this country so that they can come and do their job. We are not going to um, allow them to put – we're not going to hold people. For example, if we arrest somebody who's in this country illegally um, and that person is accused of committing a crime and they're getting ready to bail out – for example, we're not going to recognize what's called a detainer. Um, if the immigration people, they put these detainers on saying, hey, if he's going to be released or she's going to be released, let us know and we'll come scoop them up um, because then we'll look at whether we're going to deport them or not. Well, okay, the city say we're not going to cooperate with that. It results in a policy which is just put – it puts communities at risk because you have dangerous people in some cases – who should not be in this country in the first place, who are released and they go out and they commit crimes. Now, why any responsible public official in a city would adopt that is beyond me. Part of it is because it's political correctness run amok. You have groups of people who are very, very vocal. They are the what I call the illegal immigrant or illegal alien contingent. They are people who do not believe that we have should have border restrictions. They believe that anybody who wants to come into this country should be able to come into this country and that nobody should be sent back. That That's at the heart of the policy. doesn't matter if you've committed crimes. If you're in this country, illegal, illegally, doesn't matter. That's, that's the driving force behind what a lot of these groups are really operating under. And how dare you cooperate with immigration officials? And they put pressure on the local communities, and it's politically correct to do that. In any event... There are legislators in Madison who are interesting in, who are talking about introducing bills. One bill would require police to hold people charged with a crime in jail for an additional 48 hours if they are suspected of being in the country illegally. This would be to give immigration an opportunity, the feds an opportunity to come in and decide whether they want to take the person who's about to be released into custody and start considering deportation procedures, proceedings. It's not saying that immigration is going to do that all the time. It would just say, all right, cities have to give immigration a chance to do that. Local governments that didn't go along could see their state aid cut up to by up to $5,000 a day. Another Another provision would allow Wisconsin residents to sue their local government if they believe federal immigration policies were not being enforced. Well, okay, the groups, essentially the let's open our borders, 
let's not deport people who commit crimes, let's not cooperate with immigration, they're already up in arms. They're saying, look, you know, you do this, we're going to stage protests, you know, we're going to, you know, have worker strikes, you know, we're going to show what it would do to the economy if we didn't have people, if we didn't have people essentially illegally in this country working. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't know what the ultimate solution is to immigration, but the idea that people can commit crimes and be released without immigration being told about it and given an opportunity to scoop them up is appalling. It is bad public policy, and if you need a law to force cities to do it, I'm 100% in favor of it. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, let's see, will the Bucks New Arena have the Foxconn name emblazoned on its side? Bucks President Peter Fagan joins John McCure with the details. 320 today, live from the Wisconsin State Fair, sponsored by Culligan. Look, I, I understand reasonable people can disagree on different things about immigration, but I, I'm sorry. I think it is nuts. I cannot think of another word to use. I think it is nuts for anybody to suggest that once local authorities have arrested someone who they believe has committed a crime, arrested someone who has committed a crime, I think it is nuts for the city, the county, whatever, to take a policy saying we are not going to allow immigration to come in and to scoop them up, that person who has committed or is at least accused of committing the crime, to um, take custody of the person if they're about to be released so they can be deported. That's just absolutely crazy. This isn't talking about breaking up families. This is people who are in the country illegally who have or at least have been accused, probable cause to believe that they have been committed a crime, and you don't want to cooperate with immigration. And if you do cooperate with immigration, well, gee, we're so outraged about that, we're going to have a Worker strike? Well, okay, have a worker strike. 414-799-1620 is the number. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. My thoughts are, well, my parents came here from Europe legally. Uh, they were immigrants, and they came here legally under the law. My thoughts are that anyone that has been here legally right now uh, with the U.S. blundered laws and let them in but have not committed any crime, they should... I guess get a pass. Mm-hmm. But anyone who's been committed with a crime yeah. should get deported immediately and not let the door hit their behind on the way out. Yeah, right. We're we're not talking about right now. To your point, Mike. You know, we're not discussing you know what you do with the, the vast majority of the 11 million people who are in this country illegally or the 800,000 dreamers or whatever. We're talking about that subcategory of people who are in this country illegally who have committed crimes, and yet you have some of these illegal alien support networks who are outraged that even criminals who are in this country um, illegally, even people who come here and commit crimes, they shouldn't be able to be turned over to immigration. What is that all about? Yeah, get the scum out. Well, th- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, right. It, it, see, it's, and, and again, this is, it's just such a, we are so divorced from reality when we get obsessed with this political correctness type of thing. You know, do you mean to tell me, for example, let us assume that I was 
illi- I overstayed my visa. I decided to go to Spain. I um, illegally overstay my visa. All right, first of all, the reality is I'm going to get tossed out, period, because I've overstayed my visa. But let's imagine I commit a crime. You mean to tell me you think any country in the free world is going to say, all right, you're in this country illegally. You have now committed a crime. We are not going to alert our immigration officials that you've committed a crime so you can be deported. That is, if you just say it, it is so ridiculous. And yet that is what some of these groups are arguing. Now, I think it is unfortunate in Wisconsin that you need to have legislators talking about laws like this. But the reality is you do, because that is precisely what some communities are being pushed to do. 414-799-1620, Dave and Mequon. Dave, good morning. Good morning, uh, Jeff. Uh, you know what? If you want to destroy a community, a state, a country, uh, this is like laying the groundwork for, do, for doing this. Uh, just because, I mean, you're going to have... Total chaos, total mayhem. Uh, yep. I mean, it, it's, it does not end well uh, for the people, the, the citizens that live in these areas that are now going to be victims of crime uh, due to the fact that, you know, it, like you said, it's all due to political correctness. Yeah. And uh, the net result is, uh, is what? It's, it's just, it's a disaster. And right, right. We're not talking. And again, I, I think what needs to be made clear here is, is these bills. Right now, we're not talking about rounding up people who are in the country illegally, who are working at a dairy farm or something like that. You are talking about somebody who is accused of committing a crime. Note, in that case, they're in custody. Um, you know they're in they're here illegally. You notify customs. You notify immigration about it, so immigration can investigate this. I mean that that's something that you're going to have a worker strike over seriously. Well, I, you, we have to really examine Jeff, I guess, a little bit further. Where is this coming from? Where's the money coming from to support these groups? I mean, it's and I think that's another question that should be asked because um, you know. Crime is obviously it's a, it's a big money maker. It's an underground economy, yeah. and uh, you know I I think we have to look a little bit further into that. Fair fair enough. Now thanks for the call. I mean I, again I just you you do wonder and see one of the things that frustrates me about the coverage of stories like this is is when it gets into the newspaper or the mainstream media nobody asks these questions. I mean nobody sits and says wait are, are you seriously saying that you believe that somebody who has been accused of a crime, you have somebody who's been deported three times and there's been probable cause to find that they committed a sexual assault. You seriously believe that the authorities that have that person in custody shouldn't tell federal immigration officials that, hey, we've got somebody who we think just raped a woman and they've been deported three times, so maybe you want to put a hold on them in case they get released? Does anybody really think that that makes any sort of sense at all? And, and the answer, I think, would obviously be no. But, of course, that's not the way it's presented. It's like, well, we don't want to break up families. Well, oh, okay, we don't want people to be afraid to come forward. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the criminal subset of the people who are in this country illegally. And I'm sorry, if you are part of that criminal subset, you do not belong in the United States. Um, let's talk to Michelle in Delafield. Michelle, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment, and that is, let's not forget that they've already, 
all those who have come over illegally have already committed a crime. It's a crime in itself. I mean, that's a crime. Well, right. They're, they're in this country. Their presence in the country itself. They have entered the country illegally. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, there you go. Crime number one. I mean, and then, you know, well, it just snowballs from there. You know. No, it does. Thanks for the call, Michelle. It does. And you just, you see, you just say this. And I mean, I, I've used this analogy before. You tried to explain this attitude, and I am convinced if a spaceship from Mars landed out here at State Fair Park, and you tried to explain the people arguing why folks who are in this country illegally, who commit crimes, shouldn't be immediately turned over to the federal agency responsible for dealing with people who are in this country illegally, and you tried to explain the rationale that you get from some of these Looney Tune groups, that the Martians would leave convinced that there's no intelligent life, at least at State Fair or in Wisconsin, but that's the attitude that that you get. Um, Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I live in Hawaii for the last 15 years here in Milwaukee, visiting family, listening to a radio show. In Hawaii, in which we only have one political democratic party running the state, they deport you, if you're an immigrant or illegal, they deport you for life if you break a crime. Once they turn 16, you're deported and you can't come back. And their crime rate is one of the lowest in the United States. You don't see <laughs> yeah. any of that stuff. And yet you have all these large democratic cities that want sanctuary cities. And yet there's a double standard where Hawaii just says, the heck yeah. with that, we're not going to allow that. Well, well, right, exactly. You're here illegally, you've committed a crime, boom, you're, you're gone. It's that It's that simple. We don't want the criminal element to be here. I, I, it, makes, it makes so much sense to me, Tom. It really does. <laughs> Hey, thanks for the call. Yeah. I appreciate it. And, and uh, welcome to Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin in August. It's a great time to be there. Why? It's a great place to live. Anyways, in any event, there, there are these... The, the response of the illegal alien lobby to some of this legislation has been, we're going to declare worker strikes. We are going to try to bully the legislature into looking the other way, and we're going to try to get them to take the eye off the, off the ball. Because the argument is, again, well, we don't want to discourage. What about the person who's in this country illegally who has been the victim of a crime? We don't want to discourage them from being willing to report the crime. Okay. Again, that's not what you're talking about with these sanctuary cities in general. And it's specifically not what the legislators are talking about here. They are talking about not the person who is the crime victim, but the person who has committed the crime, saying, hey, if there is somebody that has committed a crime, we want, you know, you're going to have to hold them so that the federal authorities can come and at least decide whether they want to pick them up or not. What public policy advocate would think that that's bad? Just saying. All right, coming up in less than three minutes, it's the Goldilocks question. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Stick around. It's 946. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 949. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes, some anti-Trump, anti-Walker Members of the local media, go after Foxconn. I want to challenge a couple of the premises that's coming up. Right now, I call this the Goldilocks question. Too hot, too cold, just right. It's a story that we talked about when it when it first happened. Um, couple high-ranking Department of Corrections officials um, go to Ohio on a fishing trip. Now, in Ohio and in, you know, most states, there are what they call bag limits. You know, there's a limit as to how many of a particular type of fish that you can catch. And in the area where these guys were fishing as part of their trip, there is a limit 
that you can only catch up to six walleyes per person. Okay, follow me on this. So what they do is they go out in the morning. Um, each guy catches their legal limit of walleye, six fish per person. They return to the shore. So they've got their bag limit. They are not legally allowed to take any more fish that day. What happens is um, there's actually three of these guys. One was a temporary worker for the Department of Corrections. Um, the, the two others, one is the uh, warden at Columbia Correctional Institution, and one is the deputy warden at the Green Bay Correctional Institution. So follow me. They, they catch their six walleye in the morning. They go back out in the afternoon, and they catch more. They catch 11 more fish. Um, this practice is known as double tripping. You go out, you drop the fish off, then you come back. So they violated the law. They get caught. Um, two of them, the two wardens, each caught four walleyes over their limit. They were convicted of misdemeanors. One paid $458 in fines. One paid 408 They had their fishing privileges revoked in Ohio and Wisconsin for a year. Okay. Now these are this is a warden and it's an assistant warden. Um, one of them apparently says, "Hey, um, their passion for fishing clouded their judgment." Okay. All right. Fine. So they've been convicted. They got caught. Um, they paid their fines. What's happened now is each one of them has been suspended for three days without pay for knowingly breaking these fishing laws in Ohio. Three days without pay on the bricks. What the Department of Correction says is they conduct internal investigations, um, and uh, essentially they conclude that um, you know there are you know they expect that Department of Corrections employees, public servants who take an oath of office, they're supposed to follow laws and they're held to a high standard of ethical expectations. Okay, this is my Goldilocks question. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Three days on the bricks for catching more fish than they were allowed to catch. Is that too harsh a penalty? Too light a penalty? Or is that just about right? The third guy was a temporary employee. He's been let go. So that, you know, he hasn't been, he's been let go. But the two that continue to serve, the warden and the assistant warden at different facilities, they got three days without pay. Too harsh, too light, just right. I'll tell you where I come down, but I want to hear what you have to think. 414-799-1620. We are back to discuss next. This is Jeff Wagner. 956, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our next stop on the We Love Wisconsin tour is the Great Outdoor Supper Club in Kewaskum. I was there Sunday afternoon in the small world category. My soon-to-be sister-in-law, Christine, her son-in-law owns the place. Great place. I'm going to actually try to go out and stop out there a week from Friday when we're there. All right, it's the Goldilocks question. These two, a warden and an assistant warden, they're on a fishing trip um, in Ohio. They, they catch too many fish. They go out, they catch their limit in the morning, they put the fish on shore, they go back, they catch more, they've been caught. Each has been convicted of a misdemeanor. One was fined like almost 500 bucks, the other has been fined almost 400 bucks. The state investigated and they penalized them. They suspended them without pay for three days. Too harsh um, or too light or just right. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Waterford. Jeff, good morning. Morning. I think... Um I think it was too late. I think if uh, if they're hired to do a job and they obviously can't do it, um, and they got caught doing, you know, breaking the law, how can they enforce the law? I think they should be terminated. 
you would you would now these guys have both worked uh, as as war, they've worked their way up they they've been employees for decades of the state system you would fire them for taking too many fish yep and uh, who knows how many times they've done this well but you can say that about pretty much anybody okay thanks for the call jeff says he would fire them for taking too many fish um I, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, I, actually, I will tell you, I'm, my answer, I think this is just about right. I, I mean, it, it's not like they killed somebody. They took too many fish. And, and look, I, I don't want to hear from sportsmen and stuff. I, I understand that that is a significant problem. And I'm not condoning what they did. They got caught. They had to pay the fines. They were treated like everybody else. Their fishing licenses have been suspended. But this is for something that didn't occur on work time. It doesn't, in my opinion, directly relate to their ability to do the job. I actually think I actually think it's it's probably just about right. All right, but here's our text line. Way too light. They all should be fired. They are above the law. An example has been set for these bums. Huh. I mean, I, they, okay, they, they took too many fish. Mitch in Sturgeon Bay says, the punishment against the warden seems a bit too much. Um, and guy saying that it should be dismissed, that's over the top. Let the state of Ohio handle this and let this be the end of it. Um, uh, Andrew says, I would normally say an employer shouldn't be disciplining employees for misdemeanors when they're off time, but given that they do work in law enforcement, I think three days is fair. I actually, I think three days is fair as well. Stan in Milwaukee. Stan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, I believe the penalty is too harsh. They paid their fine in Ohio. Yep. Uh, and the state of Wisconsin is just piling on. Uh, it's not that they haven't been doing their job in Wisconsin. Right. It was a fishing ex, uh, incident. Yeah, and, right, and it's, it's not, I mean, thanks to the call stand, it's not like this was drunk driving in a state car or anything like this. This was, uh, hey, look, normally, if this was a typical state employee, I would say nothing should be done. The reason I, I say a couple days is because they are in law enforcement, and, and they supervise other people, and I do think they need to be held to a higher standard. Having said that, I mean, with all due respect, I think it's ridiculous to say they should be fired. They didn't kill anybody. They took too many fish. I'm not minimizing that. They paid their fines. Three days the bricks, I think, sends a message to everybody that you are not above the law. I think the state got this just right. Okay, coming up right after the news, I want to talk to you about Foxconn. There's some people who should know better who are trying to throw cold water on this. We will discuss. Stick around. It's 10 o'clock. It's 10.09, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. You know, interesting. Um, our, our text line exploded on that little topic we just discussed. The, the two, the warden and the assistant warden, go on vacation. They go to Ohio, and they, they catch more than their bag limit. And, and that's actually, and it, it wasn't an inadvertent mistake. They, they go fishing. There's a six walleye limit. They go out. They catch their limit. They go back to the shore. They leave the fish on shore. They go back later in the afternoon. They catch more. Okay. They get caught. Each one um, pays four or $500 fine. They come back to Wisconsin. And because they're in law enforcement, um, they, they end up getting disciplined. They investigate, and uh, each one gets three days suspension without pay. All right. I actually happen to think that that's that's right. I mean, I think that because and I'm not necessarily saying that every time somebody goes out of state on vacation as a state employee and they 
do something that that that's completely unrelated to work that that means they need to be penalized but in this case these guys are supervisors they're in law enforcement yeah i mean i think three days on the bricks was appropriate i will tell you my text line exploded and 90 percent i would say of the texts i got were from people saying they should be fired they it doesn't matter so they've been employees for 20 or 25 years or whatever in good standing they should be fired because that they went out and they caught too many fish to which I'm thinking, really? I mean, it's not like they were fishing on, on the job. It's not like they were drunk driving. It's not that they killed somebody. Uh, yeah, they, they did something wrong. They deserve to be penalized. Really? Would, would you want to be judged by that standard that you go out and you do something you shouldn't and automatically that's going to cost you your job? Huh. Just don't see it. You know, Doug Russell's uh, sports report. Now, I don't know how, I don't know if you follow golf or not, but it, it's sort of, it, it's interesting. Um, this week is where they have the PGA tournament. Um, the PGA tournament has been played at Whistling Straits in the past. And, oh, we got a beer sighting. All right, that works for me. Um, here at the State Fair, the PGA Tournament has been played in August. It's the there's In professional golf, there's four majors. Um, you've got the Masters in April. You've got the U.S. Open in June. You've got the British Open in July. And then you've got the PGA in August. Whistling Straits has hosted this for the last, uh, it's hosted, what, twice over the last decade or so. What the golfer, a golf association is thinking of doing is moving the PGA Championship until uh, up until May. So instead of it being the last one, it would be the second one. Now, the problem with that is, um, May around here, for example, can be kind of dicey. You can have nice May days, but you can also have kind of crummy May days. And so the concern is if you move the PGA to May, maybe places like Whistling Straits wouldn't be in comp- competition for it anymore. Um, then you might say, well, Jeff, what about the Players' Championship? That's the one that they play at the special place outside of Jacksonville where you've got the Island Green and all. Well, that used to be played in March. And what they did is they moved it to May because the weather in Jacksonville in March was typically crummy. And they were having crummy weather, so they moved it to May when it was better. Apparently what they would do is they'd move the Players' Championship back until March. So if they do this alignment, and again, this is probably only of interest to you if you watch golf, but I watch golf, um, you'd have the player, you'd have essentially one big tournament every month starting in March. The players in March, the Masters in April, U.S., uh, and then the PGA in May, U.S. Open in June, British Open in July. And then what they would do is they'd start their season-ending FedEx Cup thing, and that would then finish by um, Labor Day. So it's an interesting thing. I think it's going to be done. I don't know what it's going to do with weather, because like I say, the reason they moved the Players' Championship from March until May was because the weather was dicey. Um, clearly, you can find in May a lot of a lot of nice courses to hold the PGA tournament at, but I don't know if you could do it at Whistling Straits because, again, like I say, you know, early mid May can be a bit dicey on the shores of Lake Michigan or pretty much you know anywhere north of a certain parallel. So that's kind of something interesting to watch. You'd hate to see you'd hate to see Whistling Straits get uh, messed over because of that. All right. If you've been listening to our news all morning, of course you have. You've been hearing the various reports about the ongoing debate with with Foxconn. 
Um, there's been a public hearing held in the Assembly. You've got an anti-Foxconn Democrat, this Josh uh, Brostoff, who's already written against it. And it's, and it's, it's words he's going to have to eat, I think, at some point in time. He's going to be holding his own little town hall to give people an opportunity to presumably complain about Foxconn. There is an interesting piece written by one of the editorial writers, to the extent anybody still reads editorials, in the paper. And I want to share it with you. On Foxconn, taxpayers may still need convincing. Here's the way um, Ernst Ulrich Franzen writes. It's still not clear whether the Foxconn deal is good for Wisconsin. State officials say it will be transformative for the state's economy, and it may well be. Critics say the state will be paying too much for jobs that may not pan, pay out, pan out, and that could be true, too. We'll know a lot more once legislation is hammered out in the next couple weeks. What does seem clear, though, at least from the anecdotal evidence, is that state officials have a ways to go before a majority of citizens are convinced that this is a good deal for the taxpayers. A business journal poll. Okay, just take some free legal advice here from a recovering lawyer. If you're trying to figure out a sample of the public, the most useless thing that you can do is look at online polls because typically what happens is you have one or two or three people that feel strongly that vote and vote and vote. A business journal poll showed 79% of respondents thought it was a bad deal as of Monday afternoon. Letters to the editor of the Journal Sentinel has been receiving overwhelmingly are negative, sometimes in language too angry for us to print. And a healthy number of those who responded to an online question we posed last week said the state was handing out too much money in what some readers called corporate welfare. None of this is science. These are self-selecting responses to questions. And in my experience, readers who don't like something are more likely to express their unhappiness than readers who like something are likely to express their satisfaction. That's true, by the way. Still, legislators may have a big challenge in drumming up some love among taxpayers for the project. As an aside, a couple of commentators from states that lost out seem pretty happy that they lost out. Here's what somebody posts. Let's see. In the end, the Foxconn deal demonstrates just what is wrong with the world of economic development. As an Indiana taxpayer, I'm happy to report that it didn't happen here. And an editorial in Crane's Chicago Business writes, Foxconn, we hardly knew you and don't want you. Lots of love in the governor's office, and from boosters, the governor's office enlisted in the cause. Not a lot elsewhere, it seems, at least not yet. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. First of all, I think this demonstrates the cluelessness that you have about some people in the media. Number two, I think that what is driving part of these objections is Walker derangement syndrome and Trump derangement syndrome. If this was Barack Obama and Jim Doyle who had orchestrated this arrangement, I think a lot of the same people who are now saying, well, we need more public hearings, we need to slow down, would be at ramming speed having celebrations that this company was coming here. All right, so the premise in the Journal Sentinel is, well, you know, we're, we're not sure that the taxpayers are sold on this. You know, we don't know that it's necessarily going to be a good idea. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that any rational person would have to conclude that this is, as the word is being used, transformative. 
I mean, seriously, a lot of this nitpicking, a lot of these questions, a lot of this, well, gee, I, I don't know. Are these going to be the right jobs? Or, or what about automation? Where are we going to be 20 years from now? I mean, seriously, this is the opportunity of a lifetime for Wisconsin. And you have a lot of these nit pickers who are out there again i think it's less because of the business and more because it is governor walker that has brought this business to the state 414-799-1620 okay do you need convincing or is this a good deal that we need to be pursuing we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 1018 jeff wagner 620 wtmj broadcasting live from the wisconsin state fair it's 1021, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'll tell you what, before I start taking calls, one of the other things that drives me crazy about this debate is if you listen to a lot of the opponents, it's Milwaukee area Democrats. Well, I don't know, you know, is this too much of a commitment for Foxconn? In many cases, these are the same people who represent some of the most economically depressed areas in the state of Wisconsin, especially if you're looking at jobs. This is an opportunity of a lifetime for job creation. And instead of whining about, gee, oh, I don't know, are we going to pay too much for this? These are the same people who should be trying to figure out ways that you can hook up your constituents who need jobs with the jobs, not just at Foxconn, but the other jobs that are going to be springing up. But instead, because it is Governor Walker who has orchestrated this, it's like, well, I don't know, we need to slow this down. Like I say, I firmly believe that if the shoe was on the other foot, if Jim Doyle was the governor and Barack Obama was the one responsible for bringing Foxconn to Wisconsin, you would be hearing the same people who are whining and nitpicking. They would be the same ones saying, hey, get on board. This is tremendous. This is going to be transformative. But because because it is a Republican administration is different. Look, I don't care who's doing this. I think this is going to be tremendous for the area. This is the shot in the arm that I think this state needs. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Charlie in Germantown. Charlie, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in support of this. Uh, I was figuring out there would be about $1.5 billion in payroll, which would create uh, about $30 million in state taxes, $100 million in federal mm-hmm. taxes from the payroll, and then about $20 million in property taxes from the 5,000 approximate new homes that would be built, mm-hmm. plus all the work that the building industry would get. Sure. And all the other industry that would have to come to support all these uh, these new employees. I, right. I can't. It's a win-win situation as far as I'm concerned. Well, well, it is. I mean, Foxconn is talking about putting seven B as in billion dollars up front just to, to build the facilities and all those type of things. I mean, and the vast majority of that 7B as in billion is going to be spent hiring Wisconsin contractors to do the work. How? I mean, I don't see too many other $7 billion expenditures in the state of Wisconsin coming out there. How, how can somebody say no to that? I, I have no idea. I think it, <laughs> it's just a very short-sightedness of some people thinking that uh, we're giving away money. We're not giving away money. We're lending money for a, a large profit. Yep. No, thanks for the call. Right. You, you are making an investment. Now, look, I, I understand. The other interesting thing is, and I, I, some of the same people 
who are now out saying, okay, well, maybe we need to slow this down or maybe this isn't a good deal, are the same people who were jumping all over committing $250 million to build a new downtown arena. I supported the downtown arena. But the truth of the matter is that the jury is very much out on whether building a new arena really has a significant economic impact in a community. I think it's good to have the bucks here regardless. I I think it was a good investment. But that's very, you know, building new arenas, that's very, very questionable as to whether, again, that really improves the economy of a particular area. There's no question this is going to how can you turn your nose at 3 or 5 or 10 or 13,000 jobs at one facility and then all the other development that's going to build up around that. I mean that is direct economic impact. It is impossible for me to imagine anybody anybody who supported or voted for the Bucks Arena having anything bad to say about the Foxconn deal. Kurt in Green Bay. Kurt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Kurt, Hi, Kurt. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, I Charlie stole my thunder a little bit, but I was saying uh, to uh, to your call screener is uh-huh. no one's ever sat down and put a number onto the economic, true economic impact or the ROI of the state's investment in Foxconn, what that really is going to be, because the number over time far exceeds, I would have to guess, uh, oh, sure. far exceeds the investment that they're going to make for Foxconn to come here. And one other quick point I'd like to make with you, Jeff. I uh, I was in Milwaukee. I live in Green Bay now. I was in Milwaukee when they were building Miller Park. And I don't know if you recall the controversy over that with the added <sighs> sales tax. Yep. And, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, w- would anybody ever look back at Miller Park and say, left or right, say that was a bad investment? That was silly to do that, and we're, we're wasting money. That has brought such light to, to the Milwaukee area. I can't believe that anybody would look back seeing on that. So, uh, uh, no, no, Kurt. Th- thanks for thanks no, thanks. For, no, I, I, I most as somebody who was intimately involved in, in doing this job then. I mean, I still have some of the psychological scars. I mean, I, every once in a while, I still get an email from somebody, particularly people who live in Racine County, who say, "Okay, why have we been paying this tax? We don't get any sort of economic benefit from it." And while I appreciate that, I agree with you. I mean, would we be better off waking up on a daily basis and not having Major League Baseball and not having Miller Park and not having the concerts and all the stuff that it generates, and I understand some people in Racine still get some heartburn over whether they think that they should have had to pay for it, but I think this region is much better because we have the facility. That actually is the the same the same argument that I made about the, the downtown arena, that I, I think it, it's important it is important for a community to have attractions like that, and even if it turns out that it's not going to be the economic generator beyond the construction that, that some people say, I still think it's good to have um, basketball in Milwaukee. I think it is an attraction, but but this isn't this isn't an arena for you know players. This is these are jobs. And, and plus, you've got all the satellites that like I say seven billion dollars to Wisconsin contractors just to build the facilities. For goodness sakes, then the jobs and the people that are going to be coming in to staff the jobs, and all the support services that are going to develop, and the restaurants, and the hotels, and the apartments, and the, that are going to be there when you you take what is now essentially vacant farmland wherever they end up putting it up, and you build it. And I guess it's just been frustrating to me 
that you have so many people that are on the fence. I mean, the local newspaper, which has been the cheerleader for, quite candidly, a lot of projects that involved incredibly wasteful spending, like think the downtown trolley. I mean, there... It is just amazing to me that they have decided not to be to be skeptical of the whole Foxconn thing. Why is that? Well, I, I think, again, it's because it's Scott Walker. If this was Jim Doyle, I guarantee you the tone would be completely and totally different. Um, look, this is, this is a winner. The sooner you get it done, the better. And most of the people that are raising these objections, it's not, I think, because they seriously have problems with it. It is because they don't like the politics of it. It's 1029. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1036. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, preseason game snaps for Aaron Rodgers are becoming fewer and fewer. Is this truly impacting his regular season play? Greg Matzik isn't convinced. He opens the debate this evening on Sports Central. Tune in at 6.07. All right. Um, the New York Times, which, together with the Washington Post, is decidedly anti-Trump um, and just almost obsessively anti-Trump, as are many aspects of the mainstream media. They ran this piece over the weekend. Republican shadow campaign for 2020 takes shape as Trump doubts grow. And the, the whole premise was you've got these different Republicans who are trying to position themselves to either run against President Trump if he seeks re-election in 2020. And by the way, it is 2017. Or alternatively, to either challenge President Trump or if he decides not to seek re-election, the idea is that they would then be positioned to run. And in particular, they talk about Vice President Mike Pence, former governor of Indiana, and they talk about his own shadow campaign. And the, the shadow campaign is that he has, as most vice presidents do, an aggressive an aggressive political operation. He's meeting donors. He's got his own political action committee. He's out there. But, you know, he's doing he's doing what typically people might do if you were, for example, Joe Biden and you were the vice president in the second four-year term. But, but he's out there. He's, um, he's, again, meeting people. He is a very, very public face. And the New York Times looks at this and says, oh, this must mean he's planning to, you know, challenge Donald Trump. Um, Vice President Pence put an end to this. Uh, he issued a statement saying, Today's article in the New York Times is disgraceful and offensive to me, my family, and our entire team. The allegations in the article are categorically false, gee, what a surprise that would be, and represent one of the latest attempts by the media to divide this administration. Thanks to the president's leadership, we're rebuilding the military, ISIS is on the run, and we've seen more than one million jobs created while the stock market hits all-time highs. The American people know that I could not be more honored to be working side-by-side with a president who is making America great again. Whatever fake news may come our way, my entire team will continue to focus all our efforts to advance the president's agenda and see him reelected in 2020. Any suggestion otherwise is both laughable and absurd. But yet that is precisely what the New York Times ended up doing. All right. I thought this raised, though, an interesting question, because if you believe the mainstream media, there are a number of people who voted for President Trump who are supposedly having buyer's remorse. Gee, we're sorry we did that. We wish we had voted for Hillary. Hmm. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you having buyer's remorse? Do you wish that Mike Pence was the president instead of Donald Trump? Do you wish that Hillary Clinton 
was the president instead of Donald Trump. Is this a situation where people are saying, my gosh, what do we do? It's like you go out to the party, you have a lot of drinks, you wake up the next day, you know, all your money's gone. You wonder, how did this happen? Is there a hangover now? Are people regretting the decision? I actually think not. I think this story, together with a lot of stories, is yet another one of these creations of the mainstream media, the thing that is now being described as fake news. Is there buyer remorse? Would you be happier if it was Hillary Clinton or Mike Pence, who is the president? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back to discuss in just a couple minutes. It is 1040. I'm Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, a particularly attractive crowd gathering around our State Fair broadcast facility. It's a gorgeous day out here, just an absolutely gorgeous day. Um, There was a piece in the New York Times over the weekend, and look, I I understand that Donald Trump remains controversial. I get it, but I, I will tell you, as somebody who has followed politics most of his adult life, been in politics for a little bit, and... um talked about politics for going on two decades now i have never never ever ever seen a vendetta against a particular politician being launched like the one that i've seen by the mainstream media there's a story out over the weekend new york times it's all speculation gee you know we think that there's all these republicans that are out there that are planning to run against president trump if he runs for election in 2020 and who knows what he's going to do i mean i don't know including vice president mike pence well okay pence is doing the same thing that vice presidents do he's going around he's got his own political action committee but there's nothing that says that he's going to run against donald trump and this is the new york times speculation on this but the the whole premise is gee this is buyer's remorse And, and see and i just i don't buy that i don't think that among the people who supported president trump he is losing support i don't think the people are saying gee i wish i would have voted for hillary clinton i don't think people are saying i wish i would have voted for mike pence um, Greg and Jackson text us. Jeff, I saw the same report this morning on Good Morning America, and I laughed at the notion that he's losing support. I think this is yet another attempt to diminish his credibility and his presidency. I voted for Trump, and I'm loving the progress he and the rest of the Republicans are making. No remorse here. Um, let's see, on our text line. I don't care for Trump, but he was the only option. I would love Mike Pence as president, um, but he didn't run against Hillary. Um, let's see, Courtney writes, I don't regret it. I just still wish there would have been a better third option. Never Hillary was vital. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I said when I was starting off this program, and again, I get... You got to understand. I get heat from both sides. I get heat from people on the left saying, "Oh, don't you? How can you be a Trump apologist?" And then I get heat from the the people who just love Donald Trump when I criticize the stuff he does. Oh, you know, go work for MSNBC. I hear it on both sides. And actually, I as I said, I think my biggest issue is I think on substance the president is right on a lot of stuff. The problem is the style. I mean, I wish somebody would take the phone away from him and stop him from tweeting stuff at 2 o'clock in the morning. It almost never turns out well. Tony on the southwest side. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning to you. I guess I'm a glass is half full person. Maybe the the role of the president is overrated. I mean, the the economy is in Great form. Uh, gas is two dollars a gallon. Stock market at twenty-two thousand. Anybody who wants to work can work. Uh, I don't know who do you want in office. What uh, what would they do differently? We're in pretty good shape. I think as Aaron Rodgers said, it's time to relax. And <laughs> 
<laughs> well, well, yeah. No, th- thanks for the call, Tony. It's interesting you make that point. Uh, I have a text here. My four hundred one k is booming. Trump is doing something right. Well, you know, you know that if you typically. If you cut through, you know, all the, the fog, of what, I, what we would call the fog of war, you know, the Russia, 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 and this type of stuff that really the vast majority of people don't give a rat's rump about. They, they, they just don't. Look, I mean, if there's evidence that the Trump campaign or people colluded with the Russian government to influence the election, I understand that that, that ends up being a big deal. But in general, I don't think most people wake up every morning saying, gee, I wonder what the latest developments in the Russian investigation are going to be. What do you wake? You wake up and you start thinking, gee, um, all right, are, are we getting ready to go to war? Um, gee, is, do I have a job? Is my job secure? Gee, do I have money in the bank? Like you're talking about, what's the price of gas here? Those are the types of things that at least most of us care about. And objectively, you remember what Bill Clinton used to say when he was running for office. You know, he had that sign up over his desk that said, it's the economy, stupid. That was, I think that continues to be the case. And yes, do we need to fix health care? Absolutely. Is it an embarrassment that we haven't gotten it done? Yes. Do we need to have some sort of meaningful tax reform in order to keep the country economy growing? Absolutely. I'm hoping that gets done by the end of the year. But as a general rule, I mean, I I think people are probably pretty satisfied with the way things are. Sherry in Franklin. Sherry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? that I'm not satisfied with is I'm not satisfied that we have a pathological, delusional liar running our country. I don't know when President Trump is telling the truth, and I don't know when he's lying, unless the media breaks it down for me. Um, Can I add? I'm going to let you finish your... Would you... Did you vote for... Did you vote for Hillary Clinton or for Donald Trump? I voted for Clinton. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you saw, I mean, I, I, my guess is you had these same concerns back before the election I that you do now. I fewer concerns with Hillary. She, a no. lot of it's propaganda because I checked it out. And also, she's not delusional. I saw the people in the streets after 9, the Muslims after 9-11. I didn't make this call. I mean, right. it's just. Every no, what, no, I get, no. My, my, my question was, you, the, 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 your conclusion that he's a pathological liar is—it's nothing that you've come to lately. My guess is you thought this seven or eight months ago, right? Right. Okay. All right. No, thanks for the call, Sherry. I mean, look, I, I, I guess I understand. Part of this segment probably really wasn't geared towards people who, who didn't like President Trump in the first place, because I, I understand that. And that's why if you look at the polls, what you and, – and I know people, when they hate it when I ever say those type of things, because they, you can't trust the polls. Well, I, I understand there, there's reason to be skeptical, but you, know, you do see the – you know the same sort of numbers coming out and and I understand that that President Trump has done almost nothing um, that has convinced people who didn't vote for him that they they should come over to his side so i mean and and I get it I mean if you didn't like him in the first place i I understand all that I'm just saying that from my perspective um for the people who voted for him and did support him. I don't get the sense that people would rather have Mike Pence as the president. I, I don't think there's a lot of buyer's remorse that's out there. Now, I understand where Sherry's coming from. Matter of fact, there's if you, if you want to talk about, again, the, the media vendetta, I'm holding in my hands a story from the New York Times 
that ran today, I believe, might have run yesterday. Many politicians lie, but Trump has elevated the art of fabrication. And it it goes on to talk about just what Sherry was saying. Oh, this guy's the biggest liar. This guy's the biggest liar, you know, ever, you know, to occupy the White House. And and I I mean, I I don't know. I, I do think that there's some things that the president says that seem to me to be, if not a lie, somewhat divorced from reality. And I don't understand, candidly, why he obsesses with some of the things that he obsesses about. I mean, let's go back a couple months when there was the constant debate about you know, his claims that there were 5 million fraudulent votes chaos. And I mean, who cares? You won the election. Nobody thinks that there were that many votes, fraudulent votes chaos. Just kind of get over it. Or the, the, the brouhaha that developed over the size of the crowd that showed up for the swearing in. Who cares about that stuff? And, and I do think, again, there, it's what I would call the, the style issues as opposed to the substance issues. And it, it does get in the way. And I think it ends up hurting him among people who want to support him. But at the same time, this idea that there's this mass defection that's out there, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think that this exists perhaps mostly in the fever swamp and the fevered imaginations of some people that, I don't know, go on television for a living or write columns for some major newspapers. Just saying. It is uh, 1052. This is Jeff Wagner broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 10.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ, where organizers write to kick out a girls' softball team from the Little League World Series for a photo they posted on social media. Was it what they did, and did the punishment fit the crime? Scafidi and Billstadt debate at 2.07 today, live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Actually, that is a very interesting story. I am looking at the photograph now here at the State Fair. Um, what what the story is, is this is... Uh, these are 12 to 14-year-old girls. Um, they are from Mechanicsville, Virginia. Um, they were disqualified Saturday from the nationally televised championship game at the Junior League World Series in Kirkland, Washington, after one team member posted a photo on her Snapchat account before their game Friday. The team apologized Saturday. Um, what they're doing is um, apparently they're... Um, uh, a number of the girls, this is after they had a big win on one of their opponents' homes field. Um, they posed, and several of them are displaying their uh, middle fingers uh, at the crowd. Um, their manager is all upset. It's a travesty for these girls. Yes, they screwed up, but I don't think the punishment fit the crime. We're very sorry for the social media post, etc., etc. Um, hmm. That'll be an interesting conversation. Tune in, 2.07 this afternoon. I have to think about how I feel about that. Not not that the kids weren't wrong. I mean, obviously they were. The question becomes, uh, again, does the punishment fit the crime? Do you suspend them? Do you toss the team out? I think not. That's just kind of my, my sense. Hey, coming up in just a couple minutes, I hate to say this because we're only in the middle of the Wisconsin State Fair, but for some of you out there who have children, um, it's back to school time in the next week or two. My niece, I don't know how my brother and sister-in-law are going to take this. My niece graduated from Pewaukee High School this, it seems like just a few weeks ago. It seems like just a couple weeks ago that she started school. That's how time flies. Um, she's she's going away to college. She leaves two weeks from today. Sydney heads out west. She's going to San Diego State. And I think it's going to be tough on, on all of us, um, certainly mom and dad and um, actually Uncle Jeff as well. So, but But people are getting ready to go back to school. Coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to talk about whether or not that is too soon. All right, I just I want to mention this 
I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it, it is something that's a little bit scary. Now, yesterday afternoon, yesterday afternoon, my brother and sister-in-law brought my 10-year-old nephew out, and my fiancé brought a couple of her grandkids out. So we went down. We spent a bunch of time on the Midway. Now, I did not get the ride gene in my family, as I've said before, so I'm not riding these things. But the kids, they were they were having a good time on the Midway riding these things. And, um, you know, you're, you're up in the air. You're swinging around. It's not like you're at the, the giant Incredible Hulk roller coaster at Universal. But they've got, you know, they've got some rides here that you're, you're up in the air and you're flipping around. And I have to admit, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about what happened in Ohio. Now, there, there's... I, I recognize people go on these rides that you have at state fairs and county fairs and all, all the time, and, and nothing happens. So you don't want to be too freaked out about it. But there's the report that, that's out about this this problem that happened at the Ohio State Fair where the ride apparently uh, just kind of collapsed, and it had been inspected multiple times. And so the question becomes, you know, why why was it that you had this catastrophic sort of failure? And apparently what's happening is what would cause this, at least the theory, is that it was a, a structural failure in in the metal, that the um, ride had excessive corrosion, rust that was not that was inside the, the ride, not not on the outside. And that's what caused it to fail. This didn't get caught by the inspections because the inspectors apparently don't look for hidden corrosion. So all the the, the visual, the inspections are, are eyes only. They look at the outside of these rides, and they say, oh, this looks okay to me. You know, it looks like it's bolted fine. It looks like it's set up fine. But they, they don't do these structural sort of investigations. They don't x-ray the ride. They don't tell. Now, whether you need to do that or not, I don't know. But, but by doing this, apparently these inspections that are done are not intended to try to figure out whether or not there are structural defects. Um, I don't know if it's practical to do that. It's probably not. But at the same time, it does make you wonder, you know, could this happen again? All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, kids are getting ready to go back to school. Is it too soon? Stick around. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 11.08, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. We uh, typically have, as always, a very outstanding, good-looking crowd. Give yourselves a round of applause. There you go. See, I have to do that in case people think, are they really, is he really at the State Fair? Or is this just some sort of elaborate hoax? But no, we, we are really at, at the State Fair. Matter of fact, during the break, I was sitting here, and... Um, my, my watch band is falling apart. It's just one of these things. And it was like this little annoyance. And when I went to have the battery replaced, the place I go to replace the battery, they just didn't have any watch bands in this little style. So I'm I'm just sitting here, and I'm under my breath kind of cursing that the watch band doesn't work. And then it occurs to me, I am at the Wisconsin State Fair, where they have just about everything. And I am sure if I go about 20 yards to the south of where I am sitting, Somewhere in the giant expo center, the stuff barn, I am sure that somebody somewhere, in addition to, I don't know, the, the giant blenders that you can put in, an onion and a pear, and an onion and an apricot and an apple and make a vanilla milkshake, or the, the mops or whatever, I am sure there is somebody that is selling a watch band that will fit my watch. So that's kind of, 
that's my mission over the next day or so to check that out. A um, couple quick program notes. Scafidi and Billstead, they're going to be in um, coming up in an hour. Their show will originate from here. Greg Matzik's out here. John McCure is out here. Stick around. We love, 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 love being at the State Fair. All right. One of the things, though, that I don't like about the State Fair and it has nothing to do, Kathleen O'Leary, who runs the fair, if you're listening, has nothing to do with the operation of the fair. To me, the state fair is one of the sort of unofficial signs that summer is starting to wind down. Now, I mean, I, I understand that meteorologically, you know, summer goes through September, but, you know, we're, we're already, you know, one week into August. And the stores, well, the stores have been having the back-to-school sales since the middle of July, or actually probably since school let out in June. But, I mean, people are starting to go back to school or at least think about going back to school. As I said during the break, my, my niece is going away to college at least two weeks from today. Historically, since 2000 in Wisconsin, the law is that schools are not allowed to start before September 1st. Um, my friend, state legislator from um, the Ozaki, from Ozaki County, Jim Ott, has been working vigorously with trying to introduce a bill that would eliminate this restriction. And the idea being that um, you know, school districts should have the right to start whenever they want. The way it works right now under the law is September 1st. Schools are not supposed to start before September 1st, but there are, you can go to the Department of Public Instruction and you can get permission to start early. A lot of times that permission is not going to be granted. The reason this law has been in effect is because it's, the reason the law has been in effect is because of the power of the tourism industry. The tourism industry figures, okay, first of all, at some of the areas, the Dells in particular, um, if, if schools start, they depend a lot on like high school kids, for example, to work at some of the attractions. And if you take that away, if the high school kids have to go back to school, they're going to have to leave the facilities. It's going to be tougher to find people to work there. The other argument is that once kids start going back to school, the the travel season stops. You know, mom and dad, if they were scheduling a vacation for the third or fourth week in August, obviously aren't going to take that vacation if the kids are back in school, if they're taking the kids with them. Now, I've always argued that that doesn't really make a lot of sense because they're still going to take the vacation. And if you can't do it the fourth week in August because of school, you're just going to do it some other time. So it's just time shifting as opposed to anything else. I am a big believer that school districts should be able to start when they want to start. Having said that, though, I admit that kind of caught my attention. There was a piece on Channel 4 last night. There are several MPS schools that are operating under a new early start calendar. For those schools, the first day of school is August 14th. August 14th. In other words, for some kids in MPS, next week will be their first week of school. Now, obviously, if you've got kids that go to parochial schools, you know, you experience this as well. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does the law need to be changed? Is is September 1st a good limit for this, saying, look, unless you can get special dispensation, and the DPI can give special dispensation, some schools at MPS now have this, um, some don't. Is this is this a good thing? 
Um, should school districts be able to start in August, or is that just too soon to start thinking about having the kids back to school? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, to me, I think school districts should have the right to decide when they want to start, keeping in mind that you know if you live in an area where there's a lot of tourism, for example, and, and there's a compelling interest, you you know, then then fine. Started after September first. The idea of a statewide regulation, though, gives me pause. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. My wife is an MPS teacher, and she had to go back to work uh, Monday. Yesterday was her first day back, and you were no, correct. School, uh, right, school's not in session, but she's got to do her prep work and stuff, right? Correct. My wife. Okay. Uh, my wife teaches, uh, she does a thing called Coleman Hospital. If you live in Milwaukee and, uh, fortunately, if your child gets hurt, breaks their leg or something, my wife is one of the teachers that goes to the home oh. and teaches the child in the home so the child doesn't fall behind on, on coursework. Okay. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, she got, she got robbed about uh, three weeks of her, a uh, good two and a half weeks of her summer vacation this year. <laughs> um, but next year on this new IB schedule, which is what they call it, um, she'll be done before Memorial Day. Right. So after one year, it works out for the teachers and for the students. They'll still have their, the students got robbed, too, some of the summer vacation this year. But next year, they'll be out quite a quite a good amount earlier, a good two and a half, three weeks earlier than they normally would be. So it all works it's, out in the end. It, it works out in the end. Do you think, do you, do you think all, the middle of August is too soon to take the kids back to school? Um. Yeah, definitely. It's beautiful outside. I think a lot of parents, um, uh, my wife and I aren't parents. We don't have children. But, um, you know, people plan vacations and stuff. And I, I feel that the 14th is just, it's just too early. And it's, okay. uh, it's actually cutting our uh, our summer as well. We weren't able to take a vacation that we were planning. So, Right. Okay, good enough. Thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Now, see, I, I, I want to... <clears throat> I don't want to micromanage things. I, I really don't. I, I think, and the, the argument I've always made is, I think local school districts should have the ability to start when they want. I, I don't think there should be a one size fits all rule that says that you have to start before you, you have to start after September first or, or on or after September first, however the language is worded. I, I, I don't think there should be a one size fits all rule. I also think that there is a va- an educational value to not having as much time off in the summer. I also believe that by, oh, I don't know, by the time mid-August rolls around, I think a lot of the kids and certainly probably a lot of the parents are, are ready to get back to classes. You know, they're just, everybody's just ready to get started again. So, I mean, I, I think there's all those justifications. Now, having said that, just talking to Jim, um, I, I'm, I'm really not ready to think about school starting, you know, this week, but another month, maybe. 414-799-1620. Christine in Milwaukee. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you, but I don't have to go back to school. My note says you're an MPS teacher, so you do, huh? Yes, I am, but I don't go back until August 28th. I'm an elementary school teacher. Okay. So right now, just the high school and um, uh, ele- or middle schools are starting. Okay. What do you think about the earlier start? I think it's a bad idea, personally. When we get back to school, we have a lot of very warm days. We have 90, 95-degree days, which is going to push that now back into August. Elementary schools do not have air conditioning. 
I barely have windows in my room that mm-hmm. um, open. And I think for some kids, it's going to be a health problem. We have a lot of children who don't come to school when it's very cold out because of not being able to get to school. I think we're going to see the same thing with heat problems. Because it's just too hot. So you think yeah. by waiting a couple extra weeks, you, you reduce that problem? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and, and see, I, I want to be, be real consistent here, Christine. I think that is a very, very legitimate concern. And I, it's one of the reasons why... I think school districts should decide on their own start dates because mm-hmm. that might be a very that that you know again I mean I think MPS that's something you look at how much what's the heat what is going to be like on August twentieth for kids in classrooms how hot is it going to be how many schools do we have are air conditioned maybe we should start later and I think that's a very valid thing for say perhaps MPS to consider on the other hand maybe somewhere in the northwest part of the state where it's not as hot maybe that's not as much of a factor if you know what I mean. Yes, correct. Good point. Yeah. No, okay. Thanks to call Christine. And and by the way, I'm not I'm not minimizing. I am not minimizing the the. Gee, it's really really hot. The schools aren't air conditioned. It's going to be a problem. Kids can't learn. That is to me a very very valid factor. That if I was a school board member, I would take into account in deciding. Gee, when do I want to do the start date? That's a legitimate point. But the fact that MPS, for example, might have that issue, maybe that issue doesn't play out so much in a school district in Eau Claire. Or maybe it doesn't play out so much in a school district in, in Stevens Point where they say, hey, you know, we don't, we, our, our, most of our schools are air conditioned. I don't know if they are not. Our schools are air conditioned. Or, you know, it, it's not as much of an issue. It's warmer in Milwaukee than it's going to be, say, uh, again, somewhere close to the Upper Peninsula, for example. So, you know, by mid-August, we're starting to already have those cooler sort of days. We're not worried about this. That's my whole point. Allow the local school districts the ability to make the decision as to when you start based on the local needs. You need the high school kids to work at the tourism industry in the Dells? Go with God. That's fine. Start school districts, start the school year after September 1st. I have no problem with that. But if that's not a factor, I mean, I've told this story before. I went to college in a very rural uh, setting, and um, back in the day, we we started early, but you got out early. I mean, I was out of school um, pretty much, I was out of college pretty much by the, I want to say it was like the third week in May, but because a, a lot of the kids in the colleges, they, 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 were, they were needed for spring planting. And that was just that a lot of them they were farm kids. They came from farms. They went back. They worked on the family farms. And that was the idea. You know, it was abbreviated. There was an earlier start date. There was less of a Christmas break. You went back sooner. But the idea was you'd get done earlier. I happened to getting. I happened to like getting done earlier. Um, we continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 11:21. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Stick around. Eleven twenty-three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. The tradition continues. The bike riders are out again this year at Packers training camp, and one little girl has stolen the show. Watch the experience she had with her newest football friend in the Packers section of WTMJ.com. I'm um, coming up in about ten minutes. It's a horrible story that exposes the dark underbelly of meeting people on the internet, and I know that there are a lot of folks out there who. Meet people off of the Internet, date people off of the Internet. I recognize that it works out just 
fine for most people, but when it doesn't work out, when it goes wrong, it goes really, really wrong. And we're going to use this horrible story as kind of a launching off point for that discussion, so stick around. Right now we're talking about the mandatory start date. Um, Some MPS schools are going to be... Starting next week, they are back in session. Some don't go back till the end of August. There's a state law that says schools, as a general rule, aren't allowed to start until September. It's either on or after September 1st or after September 1st. I forget which one, but you, you get the idea. 414-799-1620. Alan in Greendale. Alan, good morning. Yes, I'm calling to say that uh, I think this uh, start date, of September 1st is a terrible date. When we were in school, we started the Tuesday after Labor Day, and so our parents could take us up to the Dells and we could have one last weekend to have the students report on Friday and then say, well, now we're going to give you three days off and uh, come back on Tuesday. I see no uh, reason for goofing up the last weekend of summer uh, for thousands of uh, kids by starting September 1st. There are several schools that are starting September 5th, the Tuesday after Labor Day, and I see nothing wrong with that. What about the parochial schools that traditionally start in the middle of August? Do you have an issue with that? No. Uh, I mean, people know that when they send their children to the parochial school that they're going to start, but there's a lot of... Uh, Public, my my grandkids would love to go to the Dells, but uh, it, it would, for them to go on the final weekend would mean that they'd have to skip school the first day right. in order to go. And I don't see any reason for starting school on a Friday and then giving kids three days off. Yeah, they ruined the weekend for thousands of uh, kids that want to enjoy a final weekend with their parents. Okay, well, Alan, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, here's the way the law works. First of all, there, there's nothing mandatory that says that schools have to start on September 1st, the day after September 1st. They can adjust their schedules accordingly. So, I mean, I, I'm with you. If, if if starting the Friday before Labor Day and having one day of school and then having Labor Day, to me, I, I agree. That probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But school districts can, can do that. As far as, gee, you want to take one more trip up to the Dells, well, Okay, um, if you want to go up to the Dells, go up next weekend or go up the weekend after that. I mean, I don't know that there's anything magic that says it, it has to happen then. But again, I'm, I, I am willing to allow this or to say this is a matter of local control. All right, it maybe maybe for example for people who have a school district. I don't know a particular school district. That's a big concern for the parents because everybody, yeah, we we want to go away. We want to have that that one more fling of summer. We don't want it to start over Labor Day because we're taking vacations. Let me just throw something else into the mix. The reality is that um, even if the school start date isn't until after September first. Let's face it, especially like at the high school level, most of those kids are, are one way. If, if you're involved in sports, I mean, what, you know, football practices, right, have, have started already. If you're involved in sports or band or a lot of these different things, you're already 
you know, effectively back in school, not the classes, but you're doing those type of things, so you're not going to be able to go away anyways. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying that by the time August rolls around, particularly at the high school level, you know, you, you've got lots of kids who are already in one shape or another, one way or the other, you know, back in school. Let's talk to um, Brenda in Wisconsin Dells. Brenda, good morning. Good morning. Um, I guess I just want to cover both sides of the street here. I'm a parent of Wisconsin Dells School District. I'm also an employee of a major resort in Wisconsin Dells. Right. Um, our school district starts after Labor Day, and we're out by Memorial Day. Um, school board surveys us every spring to find out what we want for Easter holidays, Christmas holidays, spring breaks. We fill out the information, and from there they make the decision what they're going to do with the calendar. We don't have any extra days off during the year other than um, when they do teacher conferences. The kids just start school and go basically straight through other than holidays. Right. On the other side of the street, as an employee, you have to understand that um, there has to be occupancies, places for people to go if you're going to tell them they just have to rearrange their dates. Uh, they're pretty much sold out. And the only time that it starts, you know, more room of capacity yeah. for people to book vacations right. is really the end of August. Yeah, I and guess, I, right, I, I understand. I guess I understand what you're saying, that they might not be able to, that, so there might be some business that's lost if you take away that last weekend or the last 10 days. That's what you're saying. Right, because there's no place to sleep in the Dells. The rooms are full. Right. So run to campground. Right. So, so with all, all due respect to the Dells, though, so then... You, you go to Door County or you take your vacation, you know, somewhere else. I guess my my point is, do you think just just on the on the off chance that somebody in the Racine School District might want to take a vacation to go to the Dells, is that a legitimate justification for saying Racine has to start, you know, after September 1st? I'm not saying that they have to start after yeah. September 1st, but if they want their kids in er- late and out early, they can manage their calendars just like the school district up here does. Good enough. Thanks to call. Appreciate it. Um, I don't know if the law is going to change or not, but it's a potential. We're back with more in just a couple minutes. It's eleven thirty. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1137, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, pre-season, let's see, the tradition continues, bike riders are out again this year at Packers training camp, one little girl has stolen the show, watch the experience she had with her newest football friends in the Packers section of WTMJ.com. Um, sometimes people don't understand my sense of humor, I was, um, I did the, the, the standing joke is sometimes I, I should raise my hand when I'm, I'm trying to be funny. I, somebody was asking me the other day, well, where did you meet your fiancé? And I said, well, on the Internet. And they said, well, really? I said, no, 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 I, I did. Actually, lots of people were asking me where we met. And I, no, I, I, I said on the Internet, I was kidding. I, we, we did not meet on the Internet. We've known each other for a long time. But um, uh, a lot of people do meet folks on the, the Internet. Um, I was... Actually, talking to someone yesterday who is started dating somebody, and I said, well, "Where did you meet?" They said they, they met on on the internet, and and I'm not, I don't think it was necessarily one of these dating sites. They just kind of where the people are pre-screened. It's just that they they somehow met in a chat room or something somewhere, and I I understand that that's how lots and lots of people meet. I mean, see a show of hands. I mean, how many people have started dating people that they've met off off of the internet? It, it's something that I guess happens 
a, a bunch. But there, there is a dark side to this. There's um, it's this horrible story about this teenage girl. Her name is Olivia, was Olivia McKay, um, and she was the one that they found um, down in the Racine Kenosha area. The Kenosha area that they found her dead. She'd been strangled, and. Um, a couple people have now been identified. One person has been charged in connection with the, the death. Um, 17-year-old hasn't been charged with actually killing her. He's been charged with helping hide her corpse and car theft and things like that. But the criminal complaint has, be- has become public. And according to the allegations in the criminal complaint, the, the guy who has now been charged, he and a buddy of his, uh, the buddy... Um, apparently, um, th- these guys would often meet girls online. They're both 17, 18, 19 years old. They would meet girls online. What happened here is, according to the guy that's been charged, he said the two of them, um, or that his buddy, often met girls online, and on July 23rd had arranged to have the victim pick him up at the house when McKay, 17, reportedly pulled up, one of them gets in the front seat, one of them gets in the back. The trio reportedly drives to one of the parks down in Kenosha near the Bandshell Shell before driving to Racine. Then they return to the park, etc., etc., etc. And what ends up happening is, at least according to the allegations and the complaint, one of the guys strangles her. But the point is, they met on the Internet. You know, they met on, on the Internet and arrange to get together and the at least according to the allegations the 17 year old goes and, and picks these two guys up and, and it ends very very badly all right i want to open up the phone lines because i want to have a broader discussion i recognize nowadays that that the internet is the new church social the internet is is the new bar you know it used to be before al gore invented the internet that if you wanted to meet people you had to you know get involved in in social groups that's how you met people or you met people in the workplace or you met people by you know going and hanging out in in the bars that that's how you did it nowadays more and more people end up meeting people including people that um again lead to long standing relationships sometimes maybe even needs it it leads to marriage and they meet people over the internet and again for our purposes i'm not talking about the dating sites i'm not talking about the places where you've got the pre-screened and you've got the folks that hook folks up i'm just talking about you know people that just you go into chat rooms you go into message boards whatever you end up coming into contact with people over the internet and then meeting them in the real world all right our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I recognize this goes on on a regular sort of basis, that this is one of the big ways that people meet folks nowadays. I, I guess whenever I think about this, and again, I understand that what happened here to the 17-year-old girl is the extreme situation, that, that obviously people meet all the time. They get together, they decide that they're going to go out for a drink or they're going to go have a meal or, or whatever or go see a movie or just get acquainted, and, and it doesn't end in this sort of situation. But having said that, given the universe of people that are out there, including a lot of really weird people that are out there, if I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this, the, the idea of meeting a stranger via the Internet and then going and, and meeting that person 
And again, I'm not talking about going through the dating services. I'm just talking about somebody that you bump into over the Internet in some chat room. The idea of going and meeting that person, male or female, um, for a date or whatever, I, no way. <laughs> just, I'm, no way. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, how do you have any reluctance to do this? Is this something that you do? You just hook up with these people, and I hook up, I mean, you know, go and, and meet with them and say, okay, that's, you sound like an interesting guy. We've exchanged text messages. Here, let, let's get together. I just, to me, that is so just incredibly freaky and so just incredibly risky. And I understand there's a lot of people out there that are looking to find soulmates and, and maybe aren't as fortunate as some of us are. But still, 414-799-1620, I, I tell you, I mean, it's one thing to go through the dating services where people are pre-screened and there's background checks and all that type of stuff. But just the idea that you bump into somebody somewhere on the Internet and you're going to, like, meet them in real life not for me. 414-799-1620. How about for you? Let's start with Dan in Appleton. Dan, you're first on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I think it's a great way for the creeps to be hiding behind the anonymity of the Internet. It's almost impossible for anybody to pick up inflection, tone, body language, any of that fun stuff that you, you know, just, uh, oh, I don't know, cops call it their BS meter. Uh, you know. Yeah, right, uh, right. You, you can't, you cannot tell what anybody's intent is from what they're typing on a keyboard. Right, right. Well, it, it, I know. There's no, there's no social cues. There's no, there's no creep out factor. There's none of that. And uh, a lot of these children are getting themselves off. Well, grown adults are getting themselves in trouble because oh, we just they sound wonderful. Well, well, right, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, and of course, um, well, thanks to call. I appreciate it. It's just, it's one of these things where. I, I don't know. Now, I, I do have, I, I have some friends who have, if I know, who have met people over the Internet. In, in the case of the people I know, with one exception, it never, it, it never led to anything, you know, beyond going out a couple times for, for dinner or whatever. But, but in, in those cases, I know one of the routine things was that, you know, everybody would, you know, CCAP, this Wisconsin Circuit Court Access thing. I mean, that was one of the standard things. Okay, before you even think about going, you know, on a date or going to meet so-and-so, you know, you, you run their name through uh, Circuit Court Access, you kind of a, an informal way to do a background check to at least, you know, see if there's all sorts of judgments or to see if maybe you're meeting somebody that's, I don't know, just been released from prison or something like that. Now, maybe... I understand for some guys and some gals, the fact that the person has just gotten out of prison is not necessarily a deterrent. For most people, it would be. But for some people, you, you kind of, you know, you've got the girls that like the bad boys. Oh, he just got out of jail. Well, at least I know where he's been for the last couple of years. Well, oh, okay, that there, there's that attitude. But at least... At least you know about it. It's it's kind of like okay, you know, or if you don't see cap them, you know, all your friends end up see capping them. But at the same time, I, I'm just it's these stories like this. And if I were a parent and I had teenage kids and I found out that my 17 year old daughter or my 16 year old daughter or whatever was involved in meeting somebody over the internet and then was going to go to meet them i mean at that point in time i mean this is the object lesson that's the horrible aspect of this story and i i don't think they knew each other other than the internet you had this one guy who apparently at least according to the criminal complaint that's what he did he he solicited women over the internet um for whatever purposes who knows it's 11:46. we're broadcasting live from the wisconsin state fair this is jeff wagner 
1149, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this is one of the opportunities. Great about bringing up the State Fair. I get some immediate feedback. Ma'am, Internet dating? Okay. You, in, in favor of Internet dating? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't, no, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be on the internet like just just like trying to track somebody down. No, no, that's no, that's that's. I mean, it's one of those things. that's just. I. It does kind of just. It just kind of. It is mind-boggling to me that you have, and it's particularly younger people that you know. You kind of go on the internet. You go into these chat rooms. You hook up with who knows who, and then you go and just kind of meet them. I mean, really, seriously. Um, and I guess good stuff can happen, but like lots of bad stuff can happen as well. And again, I'm not talking about the dating services where they do some sort of pre-screening, but the, uh, well, for example, um, Jeff here sends me a text. Seeing how nasty some people are on Twitter or live stream, I will never let my kids get a phone until they can buy it themselves. The nastiest people come out on the internet and it scares the daylights out of me there are thousands of horrible people not committing crimes out there looking to meet people on the internet it sickens me well again that's why you need some degree of screening hey before i uh, talk to eric bilstadt and steve scafidi i did want to mention one other thing that's in the news um and it's something i've been railing about for a while um the, the kohler company wants to build a golf course on land that they own just north of Kohler Andre State Park. Um, this would be another world-class golf course. Think Whistling Straits. I mean, it would be that type of, of thing. It would be a hu- another huge attraction, uh, more people coming into the area. There are a number of people who live in the town of Wilson. And by the way, Kohler Company has a track record. I mean, it's not like this is just fly, some fly-by-night business that could care less about the environment. I mean, if, if you look at what they've done with Black Wolf Run, if you look at what they've done with Whistling Straits, I mean, you see the type of operation that the Kohler Company runs. Nevertheless, there's some people in the town of Wilson, which is where this land was up until, I, I guess, yesterday, um, in the town of Wilson, who have been fighting this. Now, I, again, I whenever I talk about this, I get some nasty letters from some of the folks saying, don't call us NIMBYs, not in my backyard. But they are not in my backyarders. I mean, it's the idea that, um, oh, this is just going to be terrible. This is going to destroy the environment. Well, okay, the Kohler Company owns this land. And you can put in, at least in my opinion, environmental protections to make sure that everything's okay. In any event, the Kohler Golf Course took a big step towards completion and approval yesterday when uh, the Sheboygan Common Council voted to annex um, this land into the city of Sheboygan from the town of Wilson. What this means is Kohler Company would pay taxes to the city, not the township. The move also allows the company to be serviced by city services like police, fire, EMS, and water works. Um, Again, Kohler's talking about the tremendous economic impact it's going to have. Um, The city of Sheboygan, a much more stable financial municipality, um, and so make sure that you're going to have a long-term working relationship. This was a big deal. It is just one of many steps. The town of Wilson, I'm told at least some people might decide that they're going to litigate and sue to try to stop it. Good luck with that, but it could delay the project. But the reality is Kohler does a good job with what they do, and I think this golf course is just going to be a wonderful addition. And even if you don't play golf, I mean, you should care about tourism and things like that.